Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pecan. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pecan. You can send messages to the show on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. You can hit us up on the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash PGAN. We'll chat it up. We'll talk sports. We'll have fun doing it. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. We're going to get Warren's take on the RG3 situation. Also get Warren's take on the 1993 Houston Oilers as we saw the Football Life documentary on the 1993 Houston Oilers a couple weeks back, and we're going to get Warren's take on that particular team. And Warren obviously was a quarterback on that team, and Warren was a successful quarterback on that team, and ultimately they weren't able to break through. But we're going to talk to Warren about that and some of the great things he has going on. We're also going to talk to Baltimore Ravens running back Bernard Pierce, uh, we're going to talk to Bernard about the big-time victory that the Ravens had last week against the Detroit Lions. Justin Tucker, six field goals, 61-yard field goal to win the ball game. And the Baltimore Ravens, they just find ways. They just find ways. You know, you, I go back to last year's playoff run, and, and, and no game epitomizes the theme of finding ways to win than the Denver Broncos game. You not only give up a punt return, but a kickoff return to trend in the holiday. You also, you're down late in the ball game, and you miraculously throw a 70-yard touchdown pass to win a ball game. I mean, these things are, are, are defined or, or defy logic. And then also you look at that game, Peyton Manning throwing across his body, throwing an interception. Again, that defies logic because Peyton Manning was having one of the last season was a big time year for Peyton Manning and what happened in, in, in that particular game just epitomizes what the Baltimore Ravens are are about and were about last season and, and you get the same feeling that they may be about and have that same type of mojo, that same type of magic that they had a year ago. No, I'm not saying they're going to get to the Super Bowl I'm not saying that at all, but what I'm saying is there's just something about the Baltimore Ravens. But anyway, we're going to talk to Bernard Pierce about the Baltimore Ravens and some of the great things going on with the Ravens. The Ravens are having, I mean, they're on a four-game winning streak, and right now they're, they're in a position now, and no one ever expected this, but they're in position now. And we looked at the NFC North a few weeks back, and we said Cincinnati was in complete control. No way anybody was catching the Cincinnati Bengals in that NFC, AFC North. No way. You look at the AFC North now, Four weeks later, I mean, four weeks ago, you look at it. I mean, four weeks ago, the Baltimore Ravens were four and six. 
four and six at that point of the season four weeks ago. Four and six. And now the Baltimore Ravens are eight and six and an opportunity to win the AFC North. No one expected it. No one. I mean, at one point, the Bengals, seven and five, and, you know, you would think in complete control of of everything. Just, I mean, they were on top of this division, and you thought there was no way that they were going to lose the NFC North. I mean, AFC North. No way that they were going to lose the AFC North, the Cincinnati Bengals. But now the Baltimore Ravens are right there. We've got a lot of football left. Ravens have a tough one against the Patriots. But if they beat the Patriots and beat the Bengals, the final two weeks of the season, the Baltimore Ravens win the AFC North, and many would not have expected that four weeks ago. But anyway, I want to start with Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant, as we all know, out six weeks, issues with his knee, a fractured knee at this point. Kobe Bryant gone for six weeks, fracture of the lateral tibia plateau, and basically the knee. And you look at it. It's in his left knee. You look at it now. He had surgery in the offseason for the Achilles, the left Achilles. You look at Kobe Bryant at this point. You wonder to yourself, is it even worth it? Is it shouldn't should he even come back this season? And I say to myself at this point, no. And I say to myself, and I say to you, no. I don't think he should come back. Here's the reality of the situation: the Lakers are a 500 team with Kobe, without Kobe Bryant. They're probably around a 500 team with Kobe Bryant. The Lakers at this point, and you know, a lot of people don't like to hear the word tanking, but the Lakers need to get themselves involved and Andrew Wiggins, Julius Randle, Jabari Parker sweepstakes. I mean, at this point and at this stage, I mean, this is an opportunity for the Lakers team now, this deep 2014 draft. This is an opportunity for the Lakers to get themselves right, to get themselves back to where they need to be and where they once were. I mean, the Lakers now, they're in a position now after Kobe signed that deal, two years, $48.5 million. They're in a position now where they can only sign one max guy. So, you have to make that situation appealing to that max guy. If Melo, Carmelo Anthony, who can opt out and says he will opt out, uh, who can be a free agent at the end of the year, if he's looking at that Lakers situation, you think Melo wants to be a part of that Lakers situation? I, I don't see anything really desirable about that Lakers situation. I really don't. There's not, it's not a very desirable situation. Dwight Howard left that situation. I mean, so... It's not a desirable situation. It's just not. So I think in order to make that situation more desirable, it's time to tell Kobe Bryant, you know what, man? It's time for you to sit this thing down. You know, get your weight right. Get everything right. Get everything right for you to make a big-time comeback the following season. We're not going anywhere. I could see... If the Lakers were like the Pacers, I can see if the Lakers were like the Blazers, I can see if the Lakers were like OKC, uh, the Heat, I I can see if they were like one of those teams, but they're not. They're eighth seed at best. That's the best the Lakers can be, with or without Kobe Bryant. It's not that great of a basketball team, and that's just reality, that's just life. It is what it is. So I think if I'm the Los Angeles Lakers, 
at this point in time, and I don't think it's going to happen. I think Kobe's ego is a little too big for it. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Kobe's too much of a competitor for it to happen. But if I'm Mitch Kupchak, if I'm Mike D'Antoni, if I'm that Laker organization, Jim Buss, I'm taking Kobe Bryant aside and I'm telling Kobe Bryant this. Look, at this point in time, we're not going anywhere. Reality is reality. We are at best an eighth, a number eight seed. We are at best a number eight seed. We're a first round exit waiting to happen. That's what we are at this point in time. It's time for you to sit down. This is our only. This is. I mean, 2015. Their first round draft pick goes to the Suns. So guess what? This is an opportunity now, 2014, this deep, 2014 draft, an opportunity for a lot of teams, a lot of teams. I look at my Philadelphia 76ers last night. I'm watching them, and I'm, you know, they're, they're, they're playing the Brooklyn Nets tough. They're in the game, and then, you know, they're in overtime, and Evan Turner goes to the lane, puts the ball on the rim, Ultimately, the ball rolls in, and the Sixers win. One less ping-pong ball. But I look at that, and when I saw that, I'm thinking to myself, ball, please rim out. Please rim out. I want ping-pong balls. So what I'm saying is, at this point in time, there is a big opportunity for a lot of teams to make a come-up. The Lakers included. It's an opportunity for the Lakers to make a come-up. An opportunity for the Philadelphia 76ers to make a come-up. Toronto Raptors to make a come-up. Utah Jazz to make a come-up. A lot of teams, Milwaukee Bucks, even the Boston Celtics. But the Boston Celtics, especially in the Eastern Conference, are, are, are going to mess around and get themselves out of the lottery. I mean, you look at the Eastern Conference, and the reality is, in the Eastern Conference, it's some bad basketball being played. Some bad basketball being played. Three teams, like only three teams over 500? Three teams. Three teams over 500. Pacers, Heat, and the Hawks. The rest are under 500. They're under 500. There's a lot of bad basketball being played in the Eastern Conference. So the Boston Celtics, a team that I thought should be involved in the tanking situation, the Boston Celtics are in position at this point of the season, as crazy as this sounds, they are on top of the Atlantic Division at a great record of 12 and 15. My point is this. At the end of the day, when it comes to Kobe Bryant and going back to Kobe Bryant, the reality is, Kobe, you're not making your team much better. You can argue that you're making your team worse because if you on the floor, this team was 2-4, and 10-9 without you. With you on the floor, this team scored four less points. With you on the floor... This team has given up 
three more points per game. It's only a six-game sample, but what I'm saying is this. When you look at that Lakers team with Kobe Bryant on that roster, the way it's presently constructed, did you see a team that got better? I don't think I did. I, I, I don't think you did either. And you look at Kobe Bryant over those six games, did you see anything that led you to believe that Kobe Bryant could change the fortunes of this team? I mean, here, here's the thing you guys have. Here's the thing people have to realize. You're talking about an Achilles injury. You're talking about a major, major injury. The only guy that was able to come back and become better or, or just as good as he was when he left was Dominique Wilkins. You remember Alton Brand, how much a beast he was with the Los Angeles Clippers. You remember some of the numbers he put up with the Los Angeles Clippers. You remember that. But as a Philadelphia 76ers fan, I remember the numbers that he put up for the Philadelphia 76ers. I remember those numbers. I remember those numbers. I've, see, I've seen those numbers. I watched those numbers day in and day out. And watching those numbers, watching those numbers and watching Elton Brand, this guy was a shell of himself. He wasn't the same type of 20 and 10 power forward that he was before the Achilles injury. The great Isaiah Thomas never came back after his Achilles injury. Didn't even come back after his Achilles injury. So the point I'm trying to make is this is a major, major injury. And you don't come back more often than not from this injury the same. I think I heard doctors say you don't come back to, you won't come back better. You could you could come back the same, but you won't come back better. You could come back the same, but you won't come back better. Let's look at it and let's look at Elton Brand's numbers. Let's look at Elton Brand's numbers. Let's start in 2003, 2003-2004 season. 20 points, 10.3 boards per game. 2004-2005, 20 points, 9.5 boards per game, essentially a double-double. Let's go to 2006-2007, 24 points, 10 boards per game, 20 and 10. 2006 2007, 20 points per game, 20.5 points per game, nine rebounds a game, an essential double-double. Well, let's look at Elton Brand now, 2007-2008. That's where he came back for the final eight games for the Clippers, but he wasn't the same player. And then you look at what he was in Philadelphia, 2008-2009, excuse me, 13-8. and eight. You look at... 2009, 2010, 13, and 6, 2010, 2011, 15, and 8. And in 2011, 2012, 11, and 7. Obviously, the point is, he wasn't the same player after his Achilles injury. The the point, he is not and was not the same player after rupturing his Achilles. Different player. So my point is, Kobe Bryant, don't expect miracles, folks. 
Isaiah Thomas, one of the greatest little guards in the game of basketball, in the history of the game, never came back. Never came back. Never came back. And so the point, this is a tough injury, man. This is a tough injury to come back from. This isn't easy. This isn't easy at all. Not easy at all. So, and Isaiah, he ruptured his Achilles at the age of 35. At the age of 35, Isaiah Thomas ruptured his Achilles. 35 years old. 35. Kobe Bryant, how old is Kobe Bryant right now? 35 years old. Kobe Bryant is 35 years old. Isaiah ruptured his Achilles at 35. Never was the same. So I heard Charles Barkley say he thinks he should, he should sit down, and I agree with him. I agree with Charles Barkley that I, uh, Kobe Bryant should sit down for the rest of this season. The Lakers should tank, and the Lakers should try to get as many ping-pong balls as possible. You remember the San Antonio Spurs that year before Tim Duncan came? David Robertson in and out of the lineup with injuries. Guess what? Guess what happened to the Spurs? The Spurs were able to get their hands on the great Tim Duncan. And guess what has happened to the Spurs since? Four rings. Tim Duncan. Four rings. He has kept that franchise relevant. He has kept that franchise relevant. Is there Tim Duncan's in this draft? Well, Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, Julius Randle. Who knows? Can they be that good? Who knows? But if you're anybody, if you're anybody, unless you're getting a LeBron James, unless LeBron James, who can opt out of his deal, goes to the Los Angeles Lakers, I don't see this team turning around. Melo can't turn this thing around. Melo team with Kobe won't make this team a championship-caliber team. Just won't. I don't believe it does. LeBron does. Melo doesn't. So you look at this whole situation with the Lakers. They're in dire straits. Steve Nash, he was supposed to come back. Now he's going for four weeks. That has not worked out. He's been injured throughout the course of his time with the Los Angeles Lakers. That hasn't worked out. None of these things that the Lakers have tried to do, I mean, Dwight Howard, obviously he's somewhere in Houston. That didn't work out. It didn't work out. Steve Nash has not worked out. Everything, Mike D'Antoni has not worked out. Everything the Lakers have tried to do has not worked out. It's time I think for the Lakers to set this thing on fire, blow it up, blow this thing up, try to move a Pau Gasol, see what you can get with him. It's time to blow this thing up. It's done in L.A. It's done. 
It's done. This is not a 27, 28, 29-year-old Kobe Bryant. This is a 35-year-old Kobe Bryant coming off an Achilles injury. And, oh, by the way, he's going to miss the next six weeks with a knee injury. So this is not the same guy. He's not the same player. And I don't think if he's – I'm not sure if he ever is going to be that guy ever again. I don't think he will be. But it is what it is. You have to think about the future. You have to think about tomorrow when it comes to the Los Angeles Lakers. You need to think about tomorrow. And speaking of tomorrow, going to the NFL now, there's a lot of football, a lot of meaningful football to be played tomorrow in the National Football League. A lot of meaningful football to be played, and I can't wait to see some of that meaningful football being played. You look at the NFL tomorrow, and you look at the NFL at this point of the season, I think it's clear in the NFC who is the best team. It's probably the Seattle Seahawks. Would I, do I doubt the San Francisco 49ers could go in uh, Seattle and beat them? No. I think the 49ers are playing some good football right now. So they're a team you've got to watch out for. Here's the thing. <clears throat> When it comes to the National Football League over the past two seasons, it's been that team who's been on fire coming into the dance. That's been the team that, for the most part, has kept that momentum going and taken it all the way to the playoffs. The Ravens, you know, you look at them last season, they kind of limped into the playoffs, but they rode, rode that Ray Lewis wave, the, the, the Ray Lewis retirement tour. And they took that retirement tour to Denver and took that retirement tour to Foxborough and ultimately took it to the Super Bowl and won. So they took that tour all the way to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl. That's what the Ravens did. They, 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 they went on that Ray Lewis wave, and that wave carried them through. <clears throat> you look at the year before that, you had the Giants who, who, who rode that wave all the way through, no one, no one expected the Giants. I mean, I, I wouldn't say no one, but I, I will say this. The Giants, they got hot at the right time. And uh, they took that, that flame, if you will, and, and rode it all the way through. The Packers did the same. I mean, it's just, you look at it, and you, you say, who is going to be that team this season, who who is going to be the team that rides that wave all the way through and ultimately gets to the playoffs? Who do you, who do you see out there? Philadelphia. I mean, the team was on a five-game win streak. Ultimately, they lost last week against the Minnesota Vikings, but a team that was hot and playing some pretty good football. San Francisco. I think that's a team definitely. Right now, 10-4 and four and playing some pretty good football. Colin, Colin Kaepernick playing much better than he was earlier in the season. So that's a team you've got to watch out for. So who's going to be that team? Who is going to be that team? Is that, does that team exist? Will we finally see this year where the number one seeds in both conferences make it to the Super Bowl? I mean, Denver... 
very good football team, but there there are some flaws. Peyton Manning in the playoffs, not always a a, a good proposition. Nine eleven in his career, so not always a, a a sure thing, you know. So Seattle, like I said, San Francisco's playing better, so that's a team. New Orleans, obviously, you would like to see New Orleans get a, get any game in the playoffs at home. So they're a different team on the road. But I look at the NFC, and I think the only team that could beat the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle are the San Francisco 49ers. I think that's the only team that could beat the uh, Seahawks in, San, in Seattle. And I, and I know over the past two games, the Seattle Seahawks against the San Francisco 49ers in Seattle wasn't even a game. It was a blowout both times. I, I get that, and I understand that. But, you know, come playoff time, I think, it's, I think uh, you know, and I, I think at the time, the 49ers really weren't playing good football, and I think right now they're playing much better football. You look at the AFC, you know, obviously you can't doubt Tom Brady. He's the type of quarterback that can go into your building and throw for three, four hundred yards, four or five touchdowns and steal a game. He has that ability. Um, Andrew Luck, I mean, the, the, the Colts beat the Broncos in the regular season, and the Colts had a lot of success in that game, moving the football and scoring points. So the Colts are a team that you, I think you have to watch out for and I think could go into Denver and beat the Broncos. The Baltimore Ravens, another football team, a team that is so hard to doubt. You, you look at the Baltimore Ravens, it's so hard to doubt that football team. And some of the things they've done, I mean, just, I, mean, I think the last two weeks tells you a lot about the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, you know, that back-and-forth game in the fourth quarter against the Vikings. And then that game against the Detroit Lions where your kicker hits a 61-yard field goal on the road to steal a victory. And even last year with that, that screen pass to Ray Rice against the San Diego Chargers where, where he did some crazy things and ultimately got the first down. It was like fourth and 20-something. So it's, it's hard to doubt the Ravens as well. And right now the Ravens are fighting for their playoff lives. But I think they're going to ultimately get in. And at this point, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that Denver is going to win their next two and ultimately win the AFC West. But at this point in time, the Kansas City Chiefs are tied with the Broncos. So if the Broncos stumble in the final two weeks, which I don't think they will, but if they do and the Chiefs win the final two games, well, the playoffs go through Arrowhead. And if you're the Denver Broncos at Houston and at Oakland, those are two football games that you should win. Those are two football games that you should win. So I look at that, and I say it's probably going to be the Broncos. Probably going to be the Broncos. But, again, a lot of great football to be played. And I know we saw some crazy things last week, and one thing that we saw was the crazy, 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 ending with the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers and that, that, that debacle. That, I, I mean, I, I was watching the football game, and, and I tweeted this out as I was watching. The Cowboys just do some dumb stuff. I mean, they, they just were looking for ways to, to give the Packers that particular football game. You're up 26-3. to The game wasn't even close. I'm an Eagles fan. So I watched the game close, and as I was watching the game, I was saying to myself, dang, now the Cowboys and Eagles are going to be tied on top 
of the AS, uh, the NFC East, excuse me. And then, you know, just crazy stuff started to happen, just craziness. And one crazy thing that started to happen is the Cowboys stopped running the football. DeMarco Murray, 18 carries for 134 yards and one touchdown. Why would you stop running the football? Only 18 carries? You're up 26-3? That number could have been easily 30 carries. That number probably should have been 30 carries. Only 18 carries for DeMarco Murray. That doesn't sound right when you're up 26-3 in that particular game. Obviously, when you have that type of lead, you should be running the ball. I know Romo had success in the air, but there's no way when you're up 26-3 that Tony Romo should have been throwing the ball 48 times. There's no way when DeMarco Murray has 134 yards on only 18 carries that you should have stepped away from that run game. There's no way. There's no way. And I know the Cowboys' defense stinks, but that's even more reason to want to, to speed this game up. Run, what I mean by speed it up is slow it down by running the ball, get, making the clock move, keeping the clock moving and moving and not stopping. You wanted to keep that clock moving. Bill Callahan, Jason Garrett, you, you, this is inexplicable. DeMarco Murray only gets 18 carats. 18 carats. He has 134 yards and just gashing, absolutely gashing the Green Bay defense. He was gashing them. And for whatever reason, the Cowboys got too cute. And I, I look at last year. I forgot what game it was last year where they just got so cute and, and started just doing stupid stuff. It's not cute to do dumb stuff, Cowboys. It's just not cute. DeMarco Murray was just gashing and gashing and gashing. Gashing the, uh, the Green Bay Packers. Gashing them. He had seven carries in the first quarter. Seven carries. He, he was just dominating the Green Bay defense. Every run play, DeMarco Murray was doing his thing. Every play. When he got the ball, he was, he was moving and grooving. Moving and grooving. Moving and grooving. I mean, he had 11 carries, 11 carries at halftime. Unofficially, I counted 11 carries at halftime. 11 carries. So you mean to tell me that he only was able to get the ball seven more times and he was having the type of success that he was having? I mean, he was averaging seven yards to carry? And you mean to tell me? I mean, it's just... It's just it's laughable. It's laughable. 
And I tweeted this out during the game. If the Cowboys lose this game, and ultimately if the – I didn't add this last part, but I just said if the Cowboys lose the game, Jason Garrett needs to be fired. But I'm adding this to it. If the Cowboys do not make it to the playoffs and do not win the NFC East, Jason Garrett needs to be fired. Needs to be fired. I know December is Romo time in a bad way. It's Romo time in a bad way. But, you know, it's crazy. And, and that one play where, where the play he threw the interception to Sam Shields, uh, Jason Garrett said that he called a run play. A run play was called. Romo audibled out of that play and threw an awful pass to Miles Austin, which was ultimately picked off by Sam Shields. This was on second and six after you got four yards on first down. So you needed two more. You needed six more yards. You had two downs. You had a guy who was having success on the ground with DeMarco Murray, and you put the ball in the air. And I know there's stats out there in the Cowboys' losses. Tony Romo, 17 touchdowns, three interceptions. I know those stats are out there, but at the end of the day, you're a $100 million quarterback. And at the end of the day, and I know that last interception probably wasn't on Romo, miscommunication, Beasley went one way, Romo threw the other. And I know all that. I get all that. But if you don't throw that interception at Sam Shields, that second drive, that, that second interception may not even need to happen. It wouldn't need to happen. Not may. It wouldn't, it, they would have been able to run the clock out. So the point I'm trying to make is this. 17 touchdowns, three interceptions. I know it's not all on Romo. The defense is not that good. I get all that. And I don't really necessarily – I don't put this game on Romo. I don't put this game on the defense. I put this game squarely – on the coaching staff. And, yes, players are paid to make plays, but coaches are paid to put their players in position to make plays as well and make the right plays. That's the job of a coach. Bill Callahan didn't do that job. Bill Callahan did not do that job. Jason Garrett did not do that job. He did not put his players in position to win. And ultimately now the Cowboys are fighting for the playoff lives. But I will say this, and I predicted this a few weeks back, and this pains me to predict this, but I still believe Dallas Cowboys are going to win the NFC East. As bad as they played, as bad as things are for the Cowboys, as bad of a defense as they have, they still have an opportunity to control their own destiny. They went tomorrow against the Washington Redskins, a team that's not very good. I know Kirk Cousins had a decent game, but the Redskins still had a whole bunch of turnovers last week against the Atlanta Falcons. Kirk Cousins had two picks himself against the Atlanta Falcons. So guess what? I think the Cowboys are going to win tomorrow. I think they're going to beat the Eagles week 17 in Philadelphia. And I still think the Dallas Cowboys are going to win the NFC East. I hope it's not true. I hope it's not true. But I do believe that the Dallas Cowboys will win the NFC East and they still will win their final two games. As bad as it is, Dallas. Dallas fans, as bad as it is, as bad as Tony Romo and those interceptions, as bad as he's been in December, as bad as your defense is, you guys still, even with Sean Lee out, will still find a way to win this division. And maybe it saves 
chasing carrots, job, maybe. My question to you, you ever wonder what a Philly beard is? You ever wondered what a Philly beard is? And you want to know how it felt to win a game after your kicker kicks a 61-yard field goal? When we come back, we're going to be joined by Baltimore Ravens running back Bernard Pierce. He'll tell you all about his Philly beard and tell you what it felt like to win a game after your kicker kicks a 61-yard field goal. You listen to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean season. anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was, uh, trying to throw you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's that Robbie. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back. And we're going we're gonna to bring in a Bernard Pierce now. Bernard, obviously, he's got a big game tomorrow against the New England Patriots. And right now, he is doing well. His team is doing well. And this team is on a four-game winning streak. Let's bring him in now, running back for the Baltimore Ravens, the one, the only, BP, Bernard Pierce. Bernard, how are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm great. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. No problem. No problem. Now, Bernard, another crazy ending and another victory for you guys against the Detroit Lions. What was your reaction when Justin Tucker hit that 61-yard field goal for the victory? Man, it was just like a sigh of relief, man. Like, I, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't say I couldn't believe it because you know in God's hand anything is possible, but it was just. Uh, a very difficult situation that he was in in a very long kick. Definitely a very long kick, and he was able to get it done. He's been getting it done throughout the course of this season. When I look at you guys now, I'm starting to see some of those qualities that I saw last year. I mean, you guys are making clutch plays. you got the crazy endings. We know what we saw against the Vikings. We know what we saw against the Lions. What have the past two weeks said about you guys? What's that say about you guys as a team? You know, as a team, I would say, you know, it just says that, you know, we stick together and that every single person on our roster are fighters. Definitely. You guys are fighting. I mean, it, it just, you, you see the same stuff that you saw a year ago. You guys fighting, and when it seems like the chips are down, you guys have always found a way. And I look at you guys, and at one point of the season, you were 4-6, and six, and now you went on this winning streak. And at this point, if you beat the Patriots and you beat the Bengals, you can win the AFC North. At one right. point in the season, no one expected that. You know, maybe at one point in time, a lot of people thought that, you know, that they weren't expecting it or couldn't foresee it in the near future. But, you know, at the end of the day, we have a great organization, you know, and we knew that somehow, some way, we were going to find a way to turn it around, either sooner or later. And you guys definitely turned it around. We're talking to Baltimore yeah. Ravens running back 
Bernard Pierce. Now, Bernard, earlier in the season, you were slowed by a hamstring injury. Now right. I heard you say you're at full strength. Do you expect the running game to take off for these next few weeks? Hopefully, man. You know, the it's always a 50-50 chance, but, you know, with the run against any formidable opponent, you know, the defense gets paid just like we do. And they definitely have big guys up front, and they definitely have athletic and big linebackers. So, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it could possibly happen this week. It could possibly happen next week. If we jump into the playoffs, you know, it's definitely going to happen one of these games. Now, I, I look at you guys, and you have the Patriots this week, and for whatever reason, you guys have had a lot of success against Tom Brady and the Patriots, including last season's AFC title game. Why have you guys been so successful against the Patriots? You know, I'd say our coaches do a heck of a job with, you know, just game planning those guys up to the team. And we as players just have to go out and try to execute it to the best of our abilities. And, you know, so far, so good. So far, so good is right. As you guys, you have an opportunity now as you control your own destiny to win the AFC North. And who knows, anything is possible from there. And, again, you guys are 8-6, and 8-6. and yes. six, And what do you feel like at this point, if you guys were to make the playoffs, that you have what it takes to get back to the Super Bowl and ultimately win this thing again? You know, one thing that I noticed in these last two years with the Ravens, that you know, that when it counts the most, we get the job done. So, you know, the sky's the limit, man. If, if This team is definitely made for December and January football. So, you know, with... We're knocking the door now, but if, if we get in, man, we're definitely going to be uh, competitors, definitely. We're talking to Ravens running back Bernard Pierce, and you, you said that, and I looked at you guys last year, and I was saying to myself, there was no way you guys were going to go in Denver, go into Denver and beat the Broncos. And to your point, you guys have found find ways and have found ways over the years to win football games. It's, it's crazy sometimes. And I look at last season, I want to know, man, where is the Super Bowl ring? The Super Bowl ring is in a safe box. I do not have it. You do not have it? No. It is somewhere have, safe and secure. You know, can't have that just floating around the house somewhere. <laughs> have you worn it? Oh, you know, the Super Bowl ceremony, yes. I, I definitely wore it there. Um, and it was, I would say I had it on a couple of times, but I definitely haven't worn it more than three times. Okay, okay. I see that. I see that, <laughs> obviously. And, and, and Bernard, you're from Philly. Bernard, you went to Temple. I went to Temple myself. I grew up in the Philadelphia area myself. And, and I, I know a little bit about the Philly beard because you got a little beard going on, a little Philly Correct. beard going on. For those who are not familiar with the Philly beard, describe the Philly beard. The easiest way to describe a Philly bear to maybe people up north to understand it is simple. It's 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 called the Sunni. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I say you know, I mean, you know, it's just regular beer. You know, thick. Make sure it's shaped up a lot. You know, just can't have it just looking crazy or not. Right, right, right. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely. Would say it's it's was originally a Philly thing, but now actually I see a lot of people from all over as he. It's funny. Now. It's funny, you know when I when I, I moved from Philly to Connecticut, and 
everybody was talking. To, you know, I was wearing a beard at the time, and there was, oh, you got a Philly beard. What's up with those Philly guys wearing those beards and everything? It's crazy. So it's it's funny. Like I never thought there was a such thing as a Philly beard until I moved away from the area. Exactly. Then you know, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a culture shock just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like, weird. Why is anybody when people... looking at me like this because I have a beard? Like I, I don't get it. But hey, that's. I definitely noticed that as well when I moved away. Now, how long do you plan on growing this beard? Is there a certain length that you're looking for? Is you just gonna let it go until you get tired of it? Oh uh, no, actually, I I trim it every so often. Actually, I don't like it getting to a certain length because then it's just you know in the way. But okay. I you know I let it get to a certain length and I just trim it like every two three weeks. And now I I saw the photo on Twitter uh, against the I guess that was the, the Viking game. Where you had yeah, the snow all, all up in the beard. How was that? Yeah, <laughs> it was actually it was actually a dope pick, man. But you know that, that's probably the blank that it will continue to stay. I'm, I'm, I don't want it too much longer than that. <laughs> now, now, Bernard, you have a website, BernardPierce30.com, and, and you're selling some T-shirts. Fear the beard T-shirts. Tell us about yeah, that. Fear the beard, man. You know, that's uh, a design that you know. Well, a couple people have said it to me before and then you know my manager actually came up with that deal but you know since people are already calling you that or we might as well just just you know just try to sell it get it out there you know just like market uh-huh. yourself as you know Mr. Fear of the Beard right. so we did that um, I actually have shirts on sale for the Christmas holidays Christmas gifts at BernardPierce30.com okay okay maybe you could slide me some t-shirts Bernard Maybe so, man. Maybe so. <laughs> Fans, go to BernardPierce30.com. Get those Fear the Beard t-shirts. Also, check him out on Facebook at BernardPierceRB. And also, check him out on Twitter at BPierce underscore 30. You're busy on Twitter, man. Oh, yeah, man. I'm, I'm, I'm all over Twitter. I like to interact with my fans. And sometimes I just like to joke around and play around with people. Definitely. Bernard, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. Really appreciate it, man. Really appreciate it. And I'm, we're definitely trying to have a repeat, man. We'll see. We'll see. A lot of football to be played, and we'll see what happens, man. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you. No problem. We too, man. Bernard Pierce, running back for the Baltimore Ravens. So you got a little education on what is a Philly beard, and Bernard is rocking the Philly beard right now, and the Baltimore Ravens are rocking a four-game win streak and an opportunity, if they keep on rocking, to to win the next two games and ultimately get to the playoffs and win the AFC North. That would be a great accomplishment for this football team, a football team that lost a lot in the offseason. Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, uh, Paul Kruger, Ellerby, they lost a lot of key members of their football team, a lot of key members to their championship team, a lot of people, a lot of key members that helped them Win their title and Quan Bolden as well. A lot of big guys, but they, they they found a way to stay the course. They found a way to continue to be a, a team that you're going to have to look for and you're going to have to watch for, and a team that you're going to have to beat if you want to do and get to ultimately to where you want to go. But they're they're a team that definitely is going to be there, I believe, in terms of po- of making the playoffs. I don't think they're going to go any farther than that. I don't see another Super Bowl run in this ball club, but 
I may be wrong, but I doubt it, and I've been wrong before, but I just don't see that happening. But I now I, I, I want to go back to the NBA, and Brooke Lopez now for the Brooklyn Nets out for the year. I mean, you know, out for the year. I mean, it, it hurt his foot, and he's done. And I look at the whole situation with the Brooklyn Nets coming into this season and, and the expectations that were on this ball club. I mean, the expectations were high for the Brooklyn Nets. Expectations were high. I mean, I was a guy that was looking at it earlier before the season started, and I said to myself, there are <clears throat> two teams in the East that can beat the Miami Heat in a seven-game series. At the start of the season, that was my thought. That was my thinking. And one of those teams were the Indiana Pacers, and another one of those teams were the Brooklyn Nets. And I look at the Brooklyn Nets now, and obviously a team struggling at this point. And you look at the Eastern Conference, and as I said earlier, the Eastern Conference and the National Basketball Association is bad. It's it's bad. It's 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 unwatchable football. Not unwatchable football. Not I wouldn't say unwatchable basketball. There's no such thing as unwatchable basketball. But what I will say is this: some bad basketball being played. Bad basketball being played. And even in the Western, on the Eastern Conference, where the number eighth seed in the Eastern Conference is a ten and fourteen ball club, the Toronto Raptors. Even with that being said, the Brooklyn Nets are still unable to be in the playoff mix. They're nine and seventeen. Issues on the coaching staff with Lauren Frank and Jason Kidd. This is a team at this point of the season. You look at the Brooklyn Nets and you lose a Brooke Lopez. And, you know, it was Darren Williams and it was Brooke Lopez. And then you added the Pierce and Garnett to, to surround those guys. And now you lose a Brooke Lopez for the season. You lose Brooke Lopez for the season. Uh, a guy who was big time for you, a guy who did work in the post for you, a, a guy who was an all-star caliber center, you lose him, you lose him. And now at this point, I, I think it's safe to say, losing a guy like a Brooke Lopez essentially tells me that you're not going to make the playoffs. You're not going to turn this. You may make the playoffs because the Eastern Conference is so bad, but there's no way you're turning this thing around. There is no way you're turning this thing around if you're the Brooklyn Nets without Brooke Lopez. You can't do it. Kevin Garnett obviously is not the same player that he was. He's not. He's not that guy no more. He's done. Pierce can still put up numbers, but he's not the Paul Pierce of old. Just not. But you need Brooke Lopez. You need what he can give to you. I mean, he's your leading scorer, 20 points, six boards a game. He is your leading scorer. He is your leading scorer. And how about Kevin Garnett? Started 20, played 23 games, is only averaging six points a game. Six points, seven boards a game. How about that? Obviously, you expected those numbers to be a little better, at least double figures. Yeah, obviously, you, you weren't expecting Garnett to be a 20-point scorer, but you at least expected double figures, not six points per game. And that's where Kevin Garnett is at this point, six points per game. But when he, you want to talk about a disappointment, 
this is a disappointment what's happened in Brooklyn with Jason Kidd and, and Lawrence Frank and that whole debacle and just Darren Williams and his injuries and Brooke Lopez now out for the year. Kevin Garnett only averaged six points per game. This team just not coming together. Jason Terry in and out of the lineup with injuries. You, I mean, when you look at it, I guess you could have seen this happen. I mean, you, you could have looked at it and said, you never, I mean, at some point, Father Time finds a way to catch up with everybody, and Father Time is undefeated. He's undefeated. Nobody has beaten Father Time. No one will ever beat Father Time. When it's time, it's time. Kobe Bryant is fighting for, uh, Father Time, fighting him to the tooth, to the nail, fighting him. And his father time is taking all his punches, taking all his jabs. And, and Kobe Bryant is losing at this point and will lose to father time when it's all said and done. You can't beat father time. That's just reality. That's just life. It is what it is. You can't beat father time. No one beats him. No one. And Kevin Garnett has come against Father Time. He's done. I don't call him done, but he's not obviously what he was in the past and probably won't, not probably, he definitely won't be that guy ever again. He is the epitome of a role player at this point in his career. Those numbers are role player type numbers. That's That's what Kevin Garnett is at this point. A role player. He is a role player at this point in time. That's it. That's what he is at this point in time. Sad to say, you never see, never, never like to see a guy like Kevin Garnett, a guy with a lot of pride, a guy who played this game very hard, a guy who was, who was, you know, a fierce leader. Just to see an all-around good guy. You, you, you never wanted to see Kevin Garnett go out this way, but everybody, I guess at some point, if you go out on, unless you go out on top, you're going to, I mean, Michael Jordan had the perfect opportunity to go out on top. He had the perfect opportunity. Jump shot against the Utah Jazz, 1998. Hit it. Game winner. Ball game. Sixth NBA title. He had the perfect, he walked away, but he found a way to come back. And it doesn't do anything to his legacy. But I'm just saying, just going out the way he went out originally, it don't get any better better than that. John Elway going out the way he went out. doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than going out on top. And we all like to go out on top. It's not always possible. It's not always possible, but sometimes, you know, in life you have to realize that you can't stay on top forever. There, there's times in life where you got to walk away as much as you don't want to, as much as you enjoy playing the game, there has to be that time. And I'm not saying that time is for Kevin Garnett, and I'm not saying that time is for Kobe Bryant. I'm not. But what I'm saying is, more often than not, you stick around. I mean, Muhammad Ali, you stick around, you're going to take beatings like you did against Larry Holmes. Muhammad Ali, you stick around, you're going to take beatings like you did to Trevor Burbick. I mean, those are that's the nature of life. We always find a way to stick around. We, I mean, in sports, you see it more often than not, guys, just stick around 
a little more longer than they should. And I think we've all been guilty of sticking around, sticking with that girlfriend or that boyfriend a little longer than we should, a little longer than we wanted, than, than we needed to, but we just couldn't get away. We loved her. We loved him a little too much. May not have been the best of love. Probably was bad love, but you loved nonetheless. And that love or lust or whatever kept you there. And the love that Kevin Garnett and Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan had for Brett Favre, had for the game of football and basketball is one of the reasons they stuck around, arguably, you could argue, possibly, a little too long. We know Brett Favre, that last year that he came, he, he played, he, he came back for that paycheck. I would have came back for that paycheck, too. I would have came back for the paycheck, too. But Brett Favre was a shell of himself when he came back that final year. I mean, he came off that 33 touchdown, seven interception season, an opportunity for his team to get to the Super Bowl, but he threw a pick like Brett Favre tends to do from time to time. But what I'm saying is if he if he doesn't throw that pick, Vikings win that football game, and the Vikings get to the Super Bowl, and he could have won that Super Bowl, and he could have went out on top. Ultimately, it didn't happen. Never happens sometimes the way you plan it. Never happens sometimes the way you plan it. Unfortunately for Favre, it didn't end the way he planned it. But the bottom line is this. We all, in sports, you all see, we see it more often than not, guys sticking around a little too long. I want to switch gears to boxing right now. Adrian Broner, I mean, we saw that last week with Adrian Broner and Marcos Maidana. Ultimately, Adrian Broner lost the fight. Uh, unanimous decision to Marcos Maidana. Gave up, gave up his belt, his first loss. His first loss in the career of Adrian Broner. And you know, you saw at the end of the fight, he ran out the ring, didn't want to take an interview, and ultimately he was pelted by the San Antonio fans, the fans of in San Antonio, uh, pelted with, with various things. And, you know, a lot of hate being spewed at Adrian Broner. A lot of great pictures, though. I mean, if you were on Facebook and Twitter, you saw pictures of Adrian Broner and, and just put it, put they did put some pictures out. I'm, they put it in a way where you, you see him, but there was one where he was, he was, the way he was walking, they took a picture. It was obviously a picture of him walking in the locker room after the victor loss. And they had him in uh, water, and they had two preachers alongside him like he was getting baptized. It was so funny. I mean, just a lot of funny pictures. That was the funniest to me. But there was a lot of other funny ones with Adrian Broner and uh, after him getting knocked down and ultimately losing that fight. And he's a guy, obviously, a brash, cocky guy, a guy that we had on the show before and you know you, you you heard the cockiness, you heard the confidence, and all those things in Adrian Broner. But this is a guy that I think needed this a loss to humble him. He needed to be humbled. I mean, this guy was on a tour. He was on tour, a rap tour, trying to be a rapper. You know what, man? You're not Jay Z. You're not Nas. You're not Kanye West. You need to be out there honing your craft, and that is, you know, keep making sure your body is right, making sure you're not gaining too much weight in between fights making sure you're not putting uh, unhealthy things in your body. I mean, as a boxer and as an athlete, your body is your moneymaker. You know what I mean? And, and you've got to preserve it, and you've got to take care of it, and you've got to do the necessary things to, to, to make sure that happens. And, you know, you, you can't do it. I mean, you look at a guy like Allen Iverson. I mean, Allen Iverson, a great career, but it should have been longer. Didn't need to end the way it ended, but it did. And one of the reasons it did, because Allen Iverson liked to be out in the streets, Allen Iverson, uh, you know, liked to drink a lot. Allen Iverson, 
did all those things, and ultimately it took years off his basketball life. Took years off his basketball life, and, you know, and teams were saying, you know what, I don't want to deal with it. But back to Adrian Broner now, this is an opportunity for him to humble himself, an opportunity for him to, to hone his craft, get better, and ultimately get himself right moving forward in his career. You look at Broner, and this is a guy with a lot of talent, and a lot of people were saying he was going to be the heir apparent to Floyd Mayweather. He was going to be the next big thing in the sport of boxing. He was going to carry the sport after Mayweather retires. And it's still possible. But at this point, maybe it was a little too much too soon. But Adrian Broner, here's a little advice. You're not a rapper. You're a boxer. Hone your craft. Stop putting unhealthy things in your body. And stop doing those things that will affect you moving forward. Do some positive things. Get your body right. Get your mind right. Stay humble. Come on back and try to redeem yourself in 2014. Second hour of Go For It starts right now. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out of you. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! And we're back. And in this hour, we're going to be joined by Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. And Warren Moon is going to talk to us about, I don't know if a lot of you saw it, but it was the, a football life, the 1993 Oilers, which aired uh, last week. And great episode, a lot of great things you heard about that Oilers team. Obviously, Kevin Gilbride and Buddy Ryan, whole situation with Jeff Baum and his tragic death, and David Williams with the whole Baby Gate thing, uh, and all those things. So we're we, we're going to bring in uh, Warren Moon to talk about some of those things, and also RG3 and what's going on there and his take on it. I mean, he's all a favorite quarterback, so this guy knows a lot about the position, knows a lot about the position more than we will ever know combined. But anyway, we're going to bring in Warren Moon in, in this hour to talk about the 1993 Oilers and some of the things, great things going on uh, with Warren Moon. And before we get to that, I just want to quickly go over some of the playoff scenarios tomorrow. Um, you look at the situation in the NFC North for the Detroit Lions, simple for them. They need the Bears or the Packers to lose at least one time. That's what they need to happen in order for them to keep their hopes alive and ultimately have a shot at winning the NFC North. We look at the whole situation in the NFC East. Um, well, well, let's stick. With, let's stay with the NFC North. Uh, the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears, both of them win. It's, it could come down to them. To, they have to play each other the final week of the season. But if both of those teams win, they still it could come down to them playing for the division. But if one of them stumble, the Lions could break through if they win their final two. But so it should be interesting. And the reality is if the Lions lose tomorrow and the Packers lose tomorrow, then the Bears game against the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday Night Football will not matter because the reality is the Bears would still have to beat 
the Packers the final week of the season, ultimately, to win the NFC North, NFC East, Philadelphia, if they win tomorrow and the Redskins beat the Cowboys, the Eagles won the division. If the Eagles win and the Cowboys win, then it's going to go down to the final week of the season, and we're going to see who is going to win the NFC East in the final week of the season. And that should be interesting. As an Eagles fan, I hope that doesn't happen. I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to play the Dallas Cowboys in the final week of the season with the NFC East being on the line. I don't want that to happen, but we'll see uh, about that. NFC South, obviously a big game. Both of those teams tied at 10-4. and four. If you're the New Orleans Saints, you win tomorrow, you win a division, basically because you would have beaten the Carolina Panthers twice. Carolina, if you win tomorrow, you control your own destiny, and ultimately you can win your division. You look at Seattle out west, um, they're in control at this point. They are in control, and they will probably win the West, and they will probably get home field throughout the course of these playoffs. Out in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens control their own destiny. They beat the Patriots and beat the Bengals last week of the season. They win the NFC North. Indianapolis has already won the AFC South. Denver and Kansas City battling for the AFC West. But the bottom line is this. Denver, if those two teams tie end up at 13-3 uh, and three or 12-4, and four, the Denver Broncos would get it because they would have beaten the, they beat the Kansas City Chiefs twice, so therefore they would be in control of their situation. The wild card situation in the, in the NFC is pretty much a done deal uh, with Carolina and San Francisco at 10-4. and four. You look at the AFC, it's a little, little more trickier, but it's coming down to Baltimore and the Dolphins. Baltimore and the Dolphins tie. Baltimore would get the tiebreaker because Baltimore has beaten the Miami Dolphins head to head. So a lot of great football to be played tomorrow. Should be very, very, very exciting. I mean, sometimes you, you, you go through some of these playoff scenarios and they get a little tricky, and I'm going to try to make it as simplistic as possible because then you, you get some, you know, you start talking, breaking these things down and get a little too tricky, a little too crazy, and, you know, you know, you know what's going on. Let's try to make it as simple as possible, like I said, bottom line, and, and I went and I said the NFC, Arizona Cardinals are still there. You know they're nine and five, so they still have an opportunity. But they play Seattle tomorrow, so I don't think that you know. I don't think that Arizona is going to beat the Seahawks. So I think their their playoff run is going to be done tomorrow. But if they win, they have an opportunity now because they've beaten the Carolina Panthers head-to-head. So if they win and the Panthers lose, then if the Carolina Panthers and the Arizona Cardinals are tied, guess what? The Carolina Panthers are out of the playoffs and the Cardinals get in. So it should be very, very very interesting, very interesting to see how this thing plays out. It should be. It's going to be very exciting football. But I think when it's all said and done, so – you look at that game, especially for Carolina, it's very important that they get that victory tomorrow against the New Orleans Saints. Very important. Very important that they get that victory. Because New Orleans, they hold the conference lead. They have a better conference record than Arizona, which is going to be big when it comes to tiebreakers. So it should be interesting moving forward to see what happens. A lot of things that are going to play out tomorrow. A lot of various scenarios that may or may not happen. 
I don't want to get into all those scenarios that may or may not happen. I mean, it's just you get confused. It's weird. You know, you wouldn't think it would be so confusing. But it, it, it gets, it can get confusing at times. It really can. And so you want to, you know, you go over it and go over it. You want to make sure that, you know, you you have it all down. You want to make sure that you have it all down and, you know, you, you, you understand it. You you want to make sure you understand it because it's not that easy. It's really not. But the bottom line is this. It's a lot of great football to be played and a lot of things that still need to be decided. And tomorrow will help us decide those things. We shall see. Let's bring him in now, Hall of Fame quarterback, the one, the only, Warren Moon. Warren, how are you, man? I am doing great. Happy holidays to you. Same to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Now, Warren, you know a lot about quarterbacks, so we've got to start with RG3 and that whole situation. As we all know, Mike Shanahan decided to sit RG3 for the final three games. Your thoughts on that whole situation? Well, you know, it's really hard to figure out what the, the whole truth is behind the situation, whether it's because of them not wanting to put more wear and tear on his body over the last three weeks of the season because he has taken a lot of hits this year, or is it because he's just not playing well and this is their way of getting him out of the lineup and letting uh, another quarterback come in and play. So it depends on the reason why, and we really don't know what the true reason is. I, I've never heard of a quarterback that even though he's taken some hits, uh, as long as he's healthy, he can still go out there and play. There's, there's other quarterbacks around this league that are, are getting knocked around a little bit, but they're still playing. Uh, so it just depends because he hasn't been playing that well. And my my problem is psychologically and mentally, if they're going to take him out of the lineup and sit him down for the rest of the year, at least let him have one game where he has some positive success in it so he has that good feeling going into the off season, as opposed to uh, the negative feeling that he has right now because he hasn't played that well. And that's all he has to go into the off season with until the next time he's able to get back out on the field in September next year. So, uh, psychologically, I just don't think it's a good move for him. Now, I look at this whole situation, and I think, you know what, I don't even think RG3 should have started the season. He didn't seem healthy when he when he went out there to start the season. So I felt like, and, and I know the machine, you know, you had all the commercials, you had the documentaries, you had all the stuff uh, leading up to him playing that first game. But in my mind, I, I felt like I, I felt like they should have kept him out uh, uh, for the first few weeks of the season. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think he was healthy as far as being uh, uh, his knee being strong, his knee being healed, and all those different things. So that part, uh, the doctors would have never let him go back out on the field if that was the case. But was he ready to play uh, competitively at that level, having not had any any preseason? Probably not. And he probably needed a little bit more time. But they did go ahead and play him, and he got off to the slow start. He had, you know, he had some. Some uh, games in there we played you know, pretty decent, but he, he still hasn't been the player that we know he can be, the explosive player. And a lot of times when a guy comes off of a, a major knee injury like that, it, it sometimes takes into that second year before he really gets back to his normal self again. Yeah, he's, he's healthy enough, and yeah, he's able to go out and play, but is he able to play at the level that, that you're used to? And, and I, I don't think he's at that level right now. 
Now, interesting dynamic in Washington. You have Mike Shanahan, the coach. You have Kyle Shanahan, the offense coordinator, who is the son of Mike Shanahan. As a quarterback, how would you handle that situation? Would it be a tough situation for you? Well, it really doesn't matter who the, who the uh, coach is related to and all that type of thing. As long as they're qualified and they know what they're doing. And I think as a veteran quarterback, uh, I would be able to tell if, if he knew exactly what he was doing or not. Uh, as a young quarterback in RG3, he really doesn't have anything to go by because he hasn't been in the league before. So I don't know how much confidence he had in, in Kyle or not. But as long as is, uh, I think he's putting together a good game plan that seems like it's sound and everything, I have no problem with the relationships. Now, Warren, let's go now to the 1993 Houston Warriors. We're talking the Hall of Fame quarterback, Warren Moon. And, Warren, in that documentary of Football Life, the 1993 Oilers, they talked about being a black quarterback in Texas. Give us a glimpse of how it was for you back then. Um, when I first got there, you know, there was a lot of high expectations put on me and the team, especially with all the, the hype that came in with me coming to the football team. Uh, they were a 2-14 and 14 team the year before I got there. Uh, and they expected things to be turned around immediately. So when that that didn't happen because we just didn't have a great roster, and we knew it was going to take a while to, to build to, to to become a uh, you know a competitive football team. And so those first few years were very tough on me, and and a lot of uh, I got a lot of criticism, which is fine because a quarterback is going to get a lot of criticism when the team isn't doing well. But a lot of mine you know had to do with with uh, with hating it and became a little bit more personal and. And uh, a lot of it had to do with the color of my skin. So that part of it was, was tough for me to deal with. But uh, eventually as our team got better and, and we started to improve, a lot of that stuff went away. Uh, it's kind of hard to complain about a guy if, if your team is winning and he's playing well. So right. uh, winning kind of solves you know, everything, even, even prejudice. Now, now, Warren, in 1993, this was a very talented football team. And Bruce Matthews talked about – the lack of character on the team. Did, did you do you agree with Matthews in saying there is a there was a lack of character in 1993 on that particular football team? Well, uh, there were a lot of good high character guys on the team, but there were some guys that, that that did lack it, and there's no question about it. But I think you're going to find that on on a lot of football teams. So our team wasn't that much different. Um, I, I think uh, so many different things happened on our football team throughout that that season. Uh, controversially that that we had to deal with on a day-to-day basis you couldn't just focus on football all the time you couldn't just talk about your opponent you had to talk about you know all the other distractions that were going on within our team whether it was uh, a player committing suicide whether it was a coach hitting another coach on the sideline whether it was me being benched whether it was uh, you know Babygate, one of our players refusing to play after his child was born there was just so many different things going on throughout that year that that the players had to deal with, and, and really kind of distracted away from your focus sometimes as far as getting ready for a game. Now, as you said, your team started 1-4. Ultimately, you were benched. At the time, you had to feel like, did you feel like you were getting singled out? Uh, of course I did, but I understood part of it, you know, that uh, I get a lot of the, the fame and glory when we're doing well, and I get a lot of the blame when we're not, and it's, it's a team sport. Uh, there's a lot of guys responsible for what happens. Uh, I don't play defense, so when they when they score against your defense, I don't have a whole lot to do with that. Now, when we don't score on offense, uh, a lot of that is put on my back. But 
I understood the benching. I didn't agree with it, um, but the fortunate thing was for me that I just had to you know, keep myself positively motivated that, hey, if I get another opportunity to get back out there, I'm not going to give it back. And, and it came a little bit sooner than I thought. Right into the first half of the first football game that I was benched, I was back on the field playing, and uh, we went on a nice little run. We're talking to Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. And now, Warren, looking at the documentary again, Buddy Ryan and Kevin Gilbride, obviously those two did not get along. And it kind of divided the team. You had the offense against the defense. How much does that affect the football team? Again, it's just another one of those things we talked about um, being a distraction. You know, your, your 53 guys in that locker room should all be in cohesion together. And we didn't always have that at times because of uh, that competition between the two sides um, that, was, that was pretty much motivated by the coaching staff. So right. that right there is a huge problem. And, uh, again, it, it takes away from the cohesion and the closeness and the chemistry of your football team. Uh, we were a talented group. There's no question about it. We had eight to ten pro bowlers on our football team. But if we're not all playing in cohesion and, and playing uh, for each other, uh, you're not going to have the success ultimately that you want to have. Now, Buddy Ryan, one of the greatest defensive minds in the history of professional football, I mean, obviously he came in and he made the defense much better. But at the end of the day, was Buddy Ryan really good for the 1993 Oilers? In some ways, definitely. He made us more aggressive. Uh, we were pretty sound. I forgot what we were rated defensively that year, but we were up there high, I think in the top five probably. But, yeah, the, the decisiveness that was brought in and that competitiveness uh, that was within our football team, uh, he had a little bit to do with, and that, that probably wasn't good for us. So there were some things that were good for bringing him in, but there were some things that were negative about bringing him in. Now, of course, we all know the situation, Buddy and Kevin Gilbride, and ultimately the punch where Buddy punched Kevin Gilbride. What was your perspective on that whole situation? When you saw that go down, what, was, what were you thinking? Well, it finally came to a head that uh, what had been going on all season long between the two uh, finally showed its ugly head on the sideline in a, in a uh, nationally televised game uh, during a game. Um, and it's too bad it had to ha happen that way, but it did, and, and we had to deal with it. And like I said, dealing with it took a lot away from our football team. But uh, it didn't surprise me that it happened because those two had been at each other's uh, throats the whole year long. We're talking to Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. And, Warren, you, you mentioned the situation with David Williams. Ultimately, he had his baby with his wife, and ultimately he stayed with his baby and his wife. He was criticized by ownership, including Bud Adams. Twenty years later, what's your take on that whole situation? Was it overblown? It was overblown only because of some of the comments that were made by certain individuals, but um, I agreed that, that David should have been at the game. Uh, I felt like his baby was born on Friday, and uh, he had a chance to be with his wife. And I've had my ch children um born during the season as well and I was there for my birth and then when the birth is over and your your wife is all right the baby's all right then right. you move on and get back to work and go and go play uh, or if you have a job that's nine to five you get back to your job and you go work so I agreed that he should have been with with the football team but when he decided not to stay then because of we're in a high profile sport and and comments were made uh, some comments were made that uh, rubbed people the wrong way um I kind of stayed out of the fray when it came to that because, you know, every man's 
you know, personal life is his situation. But if, if I was asked my opinion, I would have said, yeah, I would have been there to play because that's what I would have done. But I would have first made sure my wife and my child were fine. Now, the football life, the 1993 Oilers, they talked about the tragic death uh, of Jeff Palm and that whole situation. He committed suicide after getting into a car accident and killing his best friend. Talk about the impact that had on you. Well, you know, I knew Jeff and I knew his buddy, and, and uh, Jeff was a great guy. He was a guy that liked fast cars. Uh, he was a guy that liked guns. And uh, those two usually don't go well together. But uh, it's unfortunate that that uh, he got into the car accident. It's unfortunate that his best friend died in that accident. And then it's even more unfortunate that he took his life because of it. So just a very tragic situation that, again, our football team had to deal with because Jeff was a you know, a popular guy on the team. And, and uh, you just never know how that's going to affect guys emotionally or mentally when something like that happens to, a, to almost a family member, you know, because we're all basically in a family. Right. Your 1993 Oilers, you guys went on an 11-game win streak. You were a very hot football team going into the playoffs. You ran into Joe Montana and the Kansas City Chiefs. You, you guys, it was a common theme for you guys. You got up early and ultimately you lost the lead and ultimately you lost the game. How disappointing was that season for you in terms of the way it ended? Well, you, you never want your season to end uh, in the playoffs because uh, – over you know and there's only one team ultimately that's going to be happy when it's all said and done and you want to win your last game and there's only one team one team excuse me in the league that basically wins their last game in the playoffs um it's the champion so um we thought we were a better football team and, and could and should have went on but we didn't finish out that football game so you always feel like uh you left something out there and and that's the last thing you want to feel like as a football player or any athlete is that you left something out on the field you want to leave everything out there and if you leave everything out there then you have nobody to blame but uh when you when you feel like you could have played better uh and, and get the job done uh, that's what that's what's more disappointing now you talked about all the distractions in terms of jeff um david williams buddy ryan kevin gilbride is there anything that your head coach jack pardee could have done to to limit those distractions limit the effects of those distractions? Yeah, I think there was. You know, I had went to Jack about trying to nip that whole situation in the bud early in the season because I could see it escalating and it wasn't getting any better. And and Jack was a guy that you know wasn't really confrontational. And um, if it was something I could have solved as a player, uh, I would have tried to. But you know, my my job is to try and lead the players. It's Jack's job to lead his coaches and. And I thought he should have stepped in and, and let those two sit down and, and with him in the same room and, and hash it all out. But Jack felt like they they should be able to work it out as grown men together, but it just never happened that way. We're talking to Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. And Warren, ultimately 1993 was your final year in Houston. When that game ended against the Kansas City did you know at the time that it was over in Houston? Uh, I wasn't sure, you know, because, again, okay. we had had a great year. Um, we didn't we didn't finish the way we wanted to. Um, you know, I made another Pro Bowl that year. So, you know, coming off a 12 and 4 team and and winning up uh, getting into a Pro Bowl again, you, you didn't think that you're uh, you were playing that bad. Um, but the salary cap also came into fruition right. then. And once I saw that that the salary cap was there and and they weren't going to be able to pay two quarterbacks, uh, you know, big money, uh, then I knew that there was a chance that I, I might not be back. 
Buddy Ryan called the 1993 Houston Oilers the most talented team he's been around, and this guy was a defensive coordinator for the 1985 Bears, arguably the best football team ever. I mean, a lot of people really love the 85 Bears team. As a whole, was the 1993 Houston Oilers the most talented team you played on? Yeah, I think so from a from a talent and experience standpoint. Uh, yeah, we were really, really good. Like I said, we had a, a ton of guys, especially on our defensive side of the ball, that that uh, were Pro Bowl caliber players. Uh, we had two guys on our offensive line that are now in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, we had some uh, really excellent uh, receivers on the outside. So we had everything pretty much that you needed uh, to win it all, you know, except for our offense didn't didn't allow for a tight end. And I think that's something that, that was one of the drawbacks of the run and shoot is not having a tight end, not having that one big guy that could be in there to help you with the running game to kind of close games out. It's hard to close games out when you have to keep throwing it. Now, you you put up a lot of numbers in the run and shoot. As a whole, did you like the run and shoot offense? I did. I thought it was exciting. I thought it was hard to stop when we were all on the same page. But, again, that was my only criticism of it. And, uh, you know, I, I threw for, for good numbers in that offense, but I threw for, for big numbers when I went to Minnesota as well, even right. bigger numbers, and threw the ball even more times. So uh, it really didn't matter what offense I was in. I, I think I thought I was going to be productive. You know, I went to Seattle and led the league in passing. So uh, that wasn't the problem. It was, it was, like I said, being able to close those games out in the run and shoot mm-hmm. and being able to have a, a solid running game that would help you do that. Now, I look at those Oilers teams of the late late 80s and early 90s, and, and I think about the what-ifs. I think about that playoff game against the Denver Broncos. John Elway goes down the field. I think about the 1992 wild-card game against the Buffalo Bills, and I think about the 1993 Oilers. When you look back on all those teams, do you think about the possibility sometimes? The possibility of? The possibilities of, of breaking through and winning titles. Should those oh, yeah. teams have won at least once? I think so, yeah. I think we had a chance probably with two of those teams to win two of them, the 90, 92 team and the 93 team. So they were both talented enough you know, to win, it, and that's what makes it so frustrating and disappointing that you didn't get it done. And uh, I'm, I know there's a lot of other guys um, on other teams you know, throughout the years that feel the same way, that they were on good enough teams to, to win a Super Bowl. You, you look at the Denver Broncos last year. Um, right. You know, being at home against the Baltimore Ravens and not winning that game, most people thought they were favored. So the favorite doesn't always win the Super Bowl. Fifteen and one Green Bay team, you know, a few years ago, and the Giants come in there and beat them. So it happens, and uh, we all feel the same. We feel frustrated and disappointed, but we have nobody to blame but ourselves. Now, Warren, looking at the current NFL right now, you have the Seattle Seahawks who look like they'll they will be the favorite in the NFC, and the AFC is kind of wide open. When it's all said and done, how do you see this thing playing out? It's really hard to say. You know, there's still a few weeks left in the season. There's a lot of tight playoff races going on for for home field, for for division titles, and you got to really see who's playing the best football at the, at the end of the year. That those are the teams that usually make that playoff run. And um, you know, I like Seattle's chances in the in the uh, NFC just because of the way they're playing. And if they can get home field. It's going to be very tough to go in there and beat them uh, in Seattle. Uh, San Francisco is really starting to play well. And, uh, 
you just never know what's going to happen with the other teams, you know, in in the NFC. I mean, the AFC, NFC East because it, it's it's a log jam there right now as well as in the North. Uh, in the AFC, you know, Denver is going to be, probably be the team uh, that that wins out there unless New England can continue to keep winning. But without Gronkowski, it's going to be tough on them. So. It's really hard to say right now because injuries have so much to do with what happens down the stretch. Weather has a lot to do with it. Um, but it's the team that's playing the best football when the season ends that, that it has the best chance, I think. Talk about some of the things going on with Warren Moon now. Well, I'm doing the broadcasting for the uh, Seattle Seahawks and uh, been doing that for the last 10 years and I really enjoy it. It's a great organization. They have a great football team to follow this year, very talented and young and, and uh, athletic and and uh, confident. Um, I do a post-game show for them called The Fifth Quarter. I also do a show during the week called Seahawks All Access. So do a lot of media work with them. I also have a sports marketing entertainment business called Sports One Marketing that's based in Irvine, California, and, and we do a number of uh, marketing projects for different corporations and companies that they want to have more uh, visibility in the sports arena, whether it's a product going to market, whether it's needing funding for a product, uh, whether it's putting on a, a sports or entertainment-related event. Uh, we do a lot of events that have a charitable component to it, so that keeps me busy on a day-to-day basis. And then I do appearances all over the country. So my, my life is pretty full right now, and I'm really enjoying it. Warren, where can fans find out about some of the great things you have going on? Uh, they can go to my uh, my sportsonemarketing.com website, and that, that pretty much keeps everybody up to speed on what I do on a weekly basis and a monthly basis. We have a, a monthly newsletter that we come out with that kind of talks about what I do personally each month and also what our company is doing. So sportsonemarketing.com is the place to go. Warren, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. All right, any time. You, you uh, let me know, and uh, we'll talk it up. So in the meantime, uh, have a very, very happy New Year. You too. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Warm Moon, Hall of Fame quarterback, the great Warm Moon. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgam, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at go 4 again. want to thank Warm Moon. Bye. also want to thank Bernard Pierce for stopping by. I hope you have a great and happy Merry Christmas. We enjoy bringing it to you. We enjoy talking sports and having fun doing it. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great day and a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye.